Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. We've uh, been slacking a little bit on our, our podcasting. Steve, I think you are you're been out on the golf course basically every single day for the last three weeks. So, um, so no, no time for that. But Listen, uh, the, sum, the summer came and it was, it was a, be- a beauty, lots of uh, heat. And I was fortunate enough to uh, not golf, but uh, spend some time up north behind the boat, a little bit of surfing nice, and nice. Uh, a lot of sun. So it, nice. it was great, but you know what they say, it's back to school, back to business, back to podcasting. <laughs> let's, let's do it. So again, my name is Ben Myers, Bullpen Research and Consulting. That's our co-host, Mr. Steve Cameron of Cameron Stevens Mortgage Capital. And we got big news, Steve. Big news. Big news to announce. Huge news. I'm not, surpri- I'm not surprised about this news, but it took a little longer than we expected, Ben. Yeah, so with we, it. we've got a new sponsor. So... Nizo Studios and the Toronto Under Construction Podcast is brought to you by Nizo Studios. The award-winning Nizo Studios is a premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural, visualization, and scale model needs. Nizo can also help market your project and launch your sales center physically or virtually. Visit nizostudios.com and ask about LiveSite, their virtual sales center software. It's the media darling taking the building industry sales process by storm. Well, thank you, Nizo. It's a pleasure to have you and welcome you to the uh, Toronto Under Construction Familia, as they say. Um, <laughs> we're excited. It's going to give us the opportunity to do some new things. Yeah, so Nizo is going to be very happy with the number of downloads on this podcast because of our fantastic, very smart guest, Steve. Very smart, very excited. Not only very smart, but uh, a real gentleman as well. We are excited to have someone uh, that I've known for a long time, and Ben, you as well. Uh, not only a business colleague and associate, but I'd call a friend. He's an MBA grad from the Schulich Business School in 2011. He was previously a lender turned developer, and we'll get into that a little bit later, with over 2,000 units under construction right now and 2 million square feet of density with $1.3 billion of gross build-out value. Mr. Naram Mansour from Carlisle Developments, welcome to the show. Thanks, gents. Thanks for having me. If if you're going to introduce me like that all the time, I'm just going to take you around on a roadshow. It'll work out really well. Listen, I'm... As you know, I'm here for hire. Any fee fee you offer me, I'm probably going to say yes to. Yeah, I'm all for the dog and pony show. I've done a few of those in my day. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you doing, Naram? Thanks for joining us. Like I said, I've been a a business colleague and a friend for a long time. Uh, Always, you know, we do stay in touch. But uh, how you doing? How's your summer been? How's everything going? It's it's good. Not not to put it that simply. Like I mean, uh, all, all things considered, and I you know I listen to your podcast, so I know COVID's a, a frequently talked about thing as it is you know and everything else. But all things considered, I uh, I'm I'm pretty you know I'm pretty optimistic on life. I'm, the summer was great, like you, Steve. I got to enjoy some of that sun uh, and uh, got and to a newborn a newborn as well, right? So yeah, he's now, believe it or not, he's, uh, he's 50, almost 15 months. Oh, wow. Okay. So time flies. He, uh, yeah. 
he is, you know, consuming life as exactly the way he should. He's terrorizing exactly the way he should. So he's, he's absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting, but enjoyable couple of months, both on, uh, you know, both on the home front, but, but also very much so on the, on the business front. It's been a lot busier than I ever could have anticipated, uh, considering what, what was going on in March and, and we're, uh, we're definitely back to business. Uh, as you said, Steve, uh, you know, right now we're, we've got a lot, a lot going on on our plate and it's, it's keeping everybody here very busy. Beautiful. So, uh, I, I, listen, I would say the same thing. I, uh, if you asked me in March or April, what September was going to look like, I would probably have painted a much different picture than we're about to walk into. Cause it looks like we're going to be rocking and rolling full steam ahead. Uh, just with, you know, the sales velocity and, uh, the acquisitions of new land and the refinances. And obviously on your end, just, you know, all the projects you have on the go or <laughs> the, we're in the same boat, but before we get into all the, awesome things you're up to why don't you give us uh, a bit of background on yourself who you are how you got uh, started you know you, like I mentioned you, you were uh, a lender out of university made the transition to developer maybe uh, a quick background on yourself yeah for sure so um, as you mentioned I, I did a business undergrad and then actually a graduate degree um, shortly thereafter uh, both were focused in real estate, uh, which is a little unique because at the undergraduate level, you don't find a lot of programs that have, it, have any real estate uh, academic, you know, interests available to, to study. Um, at the time when I was in my undergrad, there was literally only one course, which was real estate finance. And uh, it was taught by a gentleman named Patrick Iboni, who then eventually became a mentor and <laughs> now a really good friend um but i took that course i I'm, you know i made a lot of noise about the fact that i thought it was annoying that there was only one course uh five years later they went and created a second course that i ended up that i now lecture oddly enough uh, Small which is, world, huh? uh but um so i did that uh and um unlike a lot of my peers that would have gone into accounting finance or marketing i very much knew pretty much after I took Patrick's class that I wanted to get into real estate. And, you know, I thought I wanted to do development or something there about some type of something on the equity side of the equation. Uh, and I first, you know, I was looking for a job. Luckily I graduated in a very hot job market. I graduated in 07. The world was on fire. Jobs were plenty. Uh, got an offer from a lending institution, small competitor of Steve's. And, um, uh, one of those small ones. Yeah. And, uh, I joined them actually originally in their commercial term lending group. Uh, this was when securitization was still a very heavily utilized commodity. And, uh, I was supposed to be doing commercial term loans, uh, through something known as, uh, a CMBS commercial mortgage backed security. Uh, and that lasted a whole three months. <laughs> uh, and then the paper market dried up. Uh, um, and so, uh, I looked around and I said, okay, where am I going to go? And, um, the only place there really was at the time within the company was, um, development lending. They were still doing a fair bit of lending at that time. Um, so I joined that group, uh, and that lasted a whole year. <laughs> and then I was starting to think about whether I was the problem or I was the answer to some of these, <laughs> some of these, uh, situations. And, um, so we did that for about a year uh, and, and to kind of maybe move quickly from there. This is about 09. 
Um, I got pulled in to work in the capital markets group because uh, they were looking at creating um, uh, a pool of capital sourced through something known as the Canada Mortgage Bond, which effectively funds apartment buildings uh, and, and home uh, financing. Uh, so I did that for a little bit, um, uh, finished that project, came back to construction financing. But during that period, I'd always known that I wanted to get into um, development. And I thought, what better time than when the world looked like it was going to end to buy my first little opportunity. So I spent probably about six to 12 months looking for, uh, you know, an opportunity to build a home, one custom home. Uh, and I ended up buying a 50-foot lot in the Royal York and Queensway area uh, with a, a buddy of mine. And we then went on to sever that um, and, and build two custom homes that we did very well on. Uh, and then when it was all said and done, uh, we sold those homes. And that was, my, uh, that was my leap into development or being confident enough to go from lending into full-time development. Um, the plan was to do, you know, two custom homes, uh, and then maybe 10 townhomes and then 20 townhomes. You know, I went two custom homes to 64 unit, seven story mid-rise project at the, the corner of Gerard and, and, uh, Woodbine, not far hey, from Hey, you were confident in yourself. You knew what you wanted. You know what? It was, the, opportunity, you for that. the opportunity was just too good to pass. It was, um, you know, it was a, it was a group that, um, a couple of gentlemen that had owned a plaza that they had inherited and bought a couple homes uh, next to it. And they actually went all the way to the OMB to get an approval for this building. The problem was the building was a piece of junk <laughs> the way they had it designed. And, uh, and you know, they had, if I remember correctly, I think it was like, they might've had like 28 units. The entire top floor was, the guy had envisioned to be his penthouse. It was like a 4,000. This is at the corner of Gerard and Woodbine. Like, you know, maybe there's a couple of penthouses, but it, it's not the penthouse market. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then I think what's even worse was he had like four levels of underground. For like, hey, pal, if you want to build a 4,000 square foot penthouse, maybe pick a different location if you yeah. want to have any so, resale value. So anyways, you know, I, I managed actually, you'd appreciate this being in the lending world. I managed to cut the deal in a way where I got them to give me a VTB in second position for 35% of my acquisition price. I got a lender to give me 55% in first. So I was actually able to finance 90% of the project with very little equity, which obviously made it very attractive to my investors. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the kickoff for Carlisle communities. That was around, deck guy. I like it. True deck yeah. guy. Yeah. And, uh, it was, you know, it was around 2012 that that all kind of jumped off. And, uh, that's when I made the full time transition into running my own shop. Um, and we launched that project. Uh, we launched it actually originally as condos. The reason why that project's very interesting is because of the transition. We launched it originally as condos back in, uh, September of 20, I believe it was 2012. And uh, the market was fairly soft at the time, even though the condo market's been, been generally hot, or at least the, that's the way the media perceives it. If you know the market, which the two of you do know, you know, there's ebbs and flows. There's little ebbs and flows throughout the market. There's times where absorption's great. And in many ways, you know, I, I'd say I was a little ahead of myself at that site. I don't think the market fully understood why people would live at condos at Gerard or Woodbine. <laughs> um, uh, and so what we did was we pivoted into 
what ended up being a great move, which was to move into purpose-built rental. Um, and it was a fairly uncontentious uh, transition. A lot of the sales were friends and family, so they were willing to leave. And the few that had remained, you know, were happy to, were happy to take their deposits back. And so we did that. We built out that project. Um, so it ended up being a 64-unit apartment project. We completed uh, con construction in uh, 2016 uh, and then eventually subsequently sold that site a couple years later to a pension fund advisory firm. Um, and, you know, it ended up being a fantastic project, great experience. Uh, and now it very much allows, uh, uh, allows me to um, wear two hats when I'm looking at development, both the condo side, for sale side and the apartment side. Um, and then kind of transition from there, you know, six deals later, uh, which span kind of a, a variety of different sizes. Um, you know, we did, we have a 20 unit townhouse project in, in South Mississauga that we're about to occupy. Uh, we have a large mixed use downtown site at Peter and Richmond, which we've recently got full entitlements on. Uh, we had, you know, we had a small site at, in King West at Bathurst and Richmond, about a hundred units there that we eventually sold that site, um, to a REIT, publicly traded REIT. Uh, and then we have two large master plan communities that we're developing right now, one on the West end in the upper junction area, and then one on the East end near Maine and Danforth connected to the Danforth go station. Uh, and then actually the one that I did mention was we had actually bought a, a, a small, site in Queen West, just west of Ossington. Uh, and well, you know, somebody came with a very handsome offer, so we just decided to offload that project. But- uh, On what one, what one did you offload, sorry? Uh, so the one that, that came where we, we did a little bit of work on the rezoning, but never actually got too far, was a uh, uh, site at 1056 Queen West. So it's on the north side of Queen, um, just west of Ossington. It's like a surface parking lot. I think now it has a Forna Cultura, in there if you guys are familiar with that place. Mm -hmm. um, we had bought that to do potentially another small mid-rise apartment building. Uh, and as we started going through the process, you know, we were just approached by um, the, the grandchild of a very wealthy Toronto family who wanted to buy the property. He had done some work in the area and just made us a very uh, significant offer relative to what we had bought the site only two years before that. And so we said we were transitioning anyways to thinking that we wanted to be in bigger projects. So it was actually a very easy decision to divest of the site. Nice. Well, let's, let's go back to, to Beach Hill because that was, you know, your, your first project. And, you know, that was really close to me. And I remember when you told me you bought that site, I was like, oh, that's uh, a... <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> you, sure. you might have a tough time selling the units. I mean, obviously 2012 was the, really the transition from we had our boom in 2011. Early 2012 was a great time for the condo market but things changed really quickly in the second half of 2012 and in 2013 was really the worst condo market since maybe you know 2005 or something you know um so it was uh so it was a kind of a tough time to, to to sell units so what was what was ultimately you know led to the decision to to go rental and 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 why do you think that it leased up so quickly um, so yeah, look, you're, you're dead on. I probably should have talked to you before I went and bought that site. That's the truth. <laughs> uh, um, you know, so we, when, when I bought the site, the market was completely on fire. You're, you're dead on. Like I was under due diligence in late 2011 and it very much felt like you, you, you couldn't miss 
a, a, a launch at that time, right? Everyone was selling, selling really well. Um, and I thought, okay, 64 units, how hard can it be? I could probably, you know, I get to my pre-sell test. I get a buddy like Steve, he'll finance it for me. It's all great. All, all things considered, it was, it was exactly what you said. It was very challenging to sell. We really leveraged everything we could. And, and honestly, all things considered, we got to about 50%. Uh, and what, what, what I then realized was, you know, as being a novice developer, I'd completely overspec the product. Like I had, you know, I had these beautiful Italian kitchens and gas ranges and, and I wasn't building to the market. I was building to what I thought I'd want to live in if I was building for myself. And uh, we realized that we kind of needed to go back. Sales were really tough. Like for you to mention 2013 was a, was a difficult uh, or the worst year since 05. I mean, this example probably couldn't make it any more real. I couldn't sell one unit after 2013. Like we had, we had taken our time to move into the, the idea of going purpose-built rental. And we, we couldn't, we did everything. We did rental guarantees. We did live one year free programs. Like we were offering everything and we couldn't sell a single condo. Uh, and you know, all the downtown sites were struggling, let alone something out here, which was very much in the fringes back then. Uh, and this was, you know, in 2013. So um, we knew that the rental market was strong. This is probably the first time in a long time where you could actually underwrite a rental building and have the economics make sense uh, since probably the, the 80s. And uh, it was a small site. Our cost base was really good. We bought the, I bought the land very well. Uh, and so we decided just to go full steam ahead. We were never really worried about lease up. We didn't think our rent assumptions were very aggressive. Um, you know, at the time we were projecting around 250 a foot. So we thought our average unit would have been 1600, 1700 a month. So that, that wasn't that bad at all. Um, and, and, you know, vacancy has always been incredibly low and that gave us a lot of comfort, um, leveraged our relationships, CIBC financed the project for us and, and we performed really well. And we took our time during lease up because we wanted to do really well. And, and it took us probably about six to eight months to lease up. And, you know, we had been after that point, we had been 95 plus percent leased, even with turnover on an ongoing basis. So it, it had, from a leasing perspective, it, it did really well. Now, obviously you mentioned that you sold the building. Was it always your intention to sell it or um, was that something, an opportunity that came to you and you just couldn't pass it up? No, you know, so I don't think we ever had a, a specific intention to sell. I think we were, we were pretty flexible. Like if, well, the way we looked at it was if an if a offer came about that we thought was really good, we'd, we'd consider selling it. Um, and uh, we, we said, okay, let's test the market. If we get a good price, we'll sell. If not, we'll just keep owning it. It's, not, it's a great asset to own. Um, and, you know, our, our, you know if, I, if I could get into specifics here, I, our going in yield, meaning our, our, our return on our construction cost, was about five and a half cap, which was a very big number for apartment buildings in Toronto. Um, whereas the average would have been, I'd say in the market at the time, around four and a half or so, even less, um, less, I'd say four by the time we were ready to sell. And we had an offer and it came in and, and they were willing to effectively buy our, our project for about a three and a quarter cap. Wow. So it was a very, very healthy spread between my yield and what somebody was willing to buy for. And, and there was different motivations there, right? I'm, I'm a merchant developer. I'm looking for outsized returns all the time. The group that bought it is meeting in many ways pension fund obligations and so they're 
they were very comfortable. They also thought there was upside in the rents, which they probably eventually um, realized. I think initially they struggled to get a lot higher than what we actually had achieved. But generally speaking, you know, we had, we had different motivations from a business perspective and they tended to align. They're very happy with what we built. We, we very much took a very long-term approach in, in the way we finished the building. So, you know, we had LED lighting, we had laminate vinyl tile flooring, interchangeable key hardware. A lot of the things you don't think about in condos because you hand a key and you walk away. We looked at it as we could hold this asset for 100 years. And if we did, we want it to, to you know, to maintain itself for a very long time. That's interesting. Um, I noticed that the sale was somewhere around eight hundred dollars per square foot. I always look at the square foot and think that you were struggling to what sell it at five thirty a foot a few years earlier, right? Four ninety five, Ben. Four ninety five. Four ninety five. Wow. Four ninety five. When we sold it, it was eight oh eight a square foot because, like you, I also looked at the square foot. Yeah. And I think even at that time, I said if I launched a project today, I couldn't get that number. Yeah. And, and you so, couldn't get the eight, the 800 bucks a foot if you had launched when, when you, you had sold, sold it. it. Yeah. At the time, I don't think so. Oh, no. No way. At the time, I, at the time at best, I think you were looking at like six fifty to seven and that was, that would be maybe, you know, if I was speaking to Ben, Ben, it would be like, yeah, that's a little aggressive even at that time. Wow. But yeah, that, we were, we were very happy. And, and all we did was also prove to ourselves that there are opportunities where you could, um, you could build, uh, and, and generate a value higher building rental than condo. And, and I would say, you know, most of the time the debate is, can you actually do that? I, I think there are unique opportunities in our market. We continue to be, we continue to analyze them all the time where you have the opportunity to, to create greater value through building rental than, than, than developing. Well, I, I had one more question on, on, on that site. I, I noticed they now have a, uh, a pet store and a dentist as as the retail and I, and I know that the, the the retail there was vacant for a long time and there's the bit farther south on Kingston Road and Woodbine the the retail of, of the new condo there has been vacant the entire time so like seven years uh, worth so I'm just just curious what your thoughts are on on retail so this should the city now especially with with COVID be demanding that every site has retail like grade or should we start looking at other options so it's, you know, it's a very interesting question. We struggled with the retail there. That, that node, um, I, know you're, I know you're very familiar with it, but it, it's, it's generally a very mom and pop retail node. Um, there was some interesting stuff going on there. You had some good coffee shops show up, et cetera. But generally speaking, um, you know, it was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. And, and you know, congrats to, uh, Congrats to them for finding those tenants. We had a very hard time. Oddly enough, we were very excited because we had actually, uh, we had Starbucks sign up. Wow. Uh, the real estate group had actually signed an LOI with us. Uh, and we were extremely excited because we thought it was going to add an incredible amount of value during the lease up. And it was actually real estate, uh, Starbucks' uh, operations group that shot it down. So the way their process works is that the, the real estate group will, find a site, sign it up, and then they run, they run the site by operations. And operations was, um, was adamant that it wasn't going to happen because they were about to shut down a site, I think, at... Jones, maybe? Gerard. Jones uh, and Gerard? Pardon? Was it Jones and Gerard? Jones and Gerard, exactly. They had one there, and they did shut it down. Yeah, yeah. and so they are about to shut it down, and they're like, why would we take this on if we're about to shut that one down 
we don't think these areas are that different and we think we're going to have the same problem, which is we're not going to get enough foot traffic, enough volume through the space. Um, and so we were, you know, we were heartbroken that that didn't work out, but you know, we sold it vacant. We sold, we sold the space vacant. So, uh, you know, the fact that they got it there, but I know, you know, to, to, to go to your latter part of your question about, about whether the city should mandate it. I'm of the opinion that, that we should stop thinking that every single building on an avenue or a street should have retail on the ground floor. I, I said that early COVID days, I said, you know, retail's about to go through a real transformation. It was always happening. This just accelerated it as I'm heard, as you know, I'm sure you've heard from everybody. And I think you're going to run into a real challenge um, finding tenants uh, or what developers are really going to do if they're just mandated is just underwrite it to zero <laughs> and assume that, you know, they'll get almost nothing or just enough to cover the taxes or whatever the case may be with whomever will take it just so that it doesn't sit vacant. You know, good retail will, will I think will do well. So flight to quality in a sense, but I think the idea of forcing retail on every single mixed use condo development, I think is going to be a real challenge for the city. And, and, you know, we were, we were looking at a bunch of different options as what to do there, pop up, et cetera. It, it's, I think, I think retail is going to struggle from that perspective for sure. I think it's a good point to think that, you know, you, you, there's kind of been this formula where, and you can talk about parking too. Every condo has to have X amount of square feet of density, commercial retail. Sometimes there's force to put office in and, and you look at what happened at Dundas and Carla with those work lofts, Brad Lamb had to put those work lofts in. And then obviously you got to have X amount of parking spots. You know, that, that formula has got to change. It's not going to work going forward. I, I was on a call the other day about a site at Young and Bluer and some people on the call were like, well, there's not enough parking on here. I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, it's Young and Bluer. I mean, <laughs> there shouldn't be any parking here. You're on literally, you're literally center ice of transit. Yeah, as as being on two lines. Um, yeah, I'm surprised when I look at the applications now. A lot of these towers are 10, 15 percent parking ratios, right? So that's a far cry from what it was, you know, 10 years ago. And some of these sites are 75, 85 percent, like yeah. downtown Toronto, 85 percent in a 500 unit building, right? So it's well, kind it's of just as, it's now. just this mentality, right? It's just this, this old thinking. And you know, as Toronto grows and we grow, we need to focus on you know what's going to sell what's not going to sell what's going to be best for the community the residents uh in a lot of cases where you're putting density you don't want cars because it's going to create more traffic right yeah. so. for sure i i i think the city is getting better for if sure. i could say that when it comes to parking i think they're trying to be a little bit more progressive everything you know devil's in the detail and it's a very nuanced process because anytime we make an amendment to the uh, parking ratio, the standard parking ratio, that has to go by transportation, transportation has to vet it. Um, and often what it takes is typically progressive counselor or something to that effect to uh, allow us to drop below their standard level. I would say in the downtown, you know, the city is getting a lot better at recognizing it. I'm surprised to hear the whole thing that you mentioned about Young and Board not having enough parking. To me, that's wild. They're, I mean, the city should be comfortable with zero parking. Well, really? I'll, I'll, I'll preface it with they were, in today's terms, luxury units only because of what the pro forma per foot was. They were performing 1500 bucks a foot. So we're saying yeah. at 1500 bucks a foot, that's considered luxury given the price point. Where, where my argument or the developer's argument was actually, this isn't going to be occupied for four to five years. 
by the time it's occupied, it's probably going to be selling for 1800 or 1700 bucks a foot. And that's not going to be luxury. It's, it's going to be pretty standard product at AAA site, downtown, you know, center, center ice and not only in Toronto, but Canada, arguably. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I would say 1500 bucks a foot is by no means luxury pricing at Yonemur anymore. And yeah. there's projects that have launched higher than that uh, in that node. And, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Interesting. So let's, let's maybe move on to your, uh, one of your other early sites, which uh, again was probably you launched at kind of the wrong time as well with your, your townhomes right before, you know, dragging them through the mud today, 17 and we had the fair housing plan and the foreign buyers tax and all kinds of other crazy things brought in by the, uh, the government at the time to, to, to cool the market. Maybe tell us a little bit about what you learned in that site. Did you spec that site right? Was it the right product? Was it the right you know uh, mix of units? What 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 did you come out uh, take uh, from from that project? Yeah, so sixteen forty Crestview Avenue was the second project I ever bought. Um, the that was a, at a point where I was just so hungry to do deals. I was I wasn't actually focused on what type of business I was trying to create. Just uh, to clarify for everyone, that's a that's a site in Mississauga. Yeah, so it's at South Service Road and here Ontario, give or take, in that area on the south side. So it's in the Mineola neighborhood, which is a fairly affluent neighborhood in Mississauga. Uh, and um, it was an old plaza. Uh, you know, it had, a, it had a weed shop before weed was legal, although they had a license. <laughs> so it was fine. Um, uh, and, and so we bought it to turn it into a townhouse site. Uh, and you know, uh, before I get into the launch of that site, but you know, there was the learning curve. There was, um, you know, very affluent area, so very vocal area. I remember going. I think I, my initial proposal was twenty-six or twenty-eight townhomes, and I, I went to the public meeting, and there was a hundred people there, and I know people thought I was bringing affordable housing into the neighborhood. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, okay, I, I don't know why you think I pay this much for land in this neighborhood and then bring affordable housing, but it didn't matter. That's not what people care to hear. Uh, and really what I learned on that project was it very much felt like whether I was doing a 300 unit downtown site or a 28 unit townhouse development in Mississauga, the level of work that went into it wasn't that different. And, and I think that was one of the clear messages on you know my first three to four sites was all these sites are good sites but they're all small and the, the brain damage is equal as to the one large site that i had at the time which was peter and richmond or i was assembling it at that time so we we had to go through you know what was an omb now an lpat mediation process uh it took almost two plus years uh, and then we eventually settled at 20 townhomes because the neighborhood didn't want so much density if you can imagine, we're talking about 28 townhomes versus 20. Uh, and, um, you know, so we, we, we got that done. And, and I was actually trying to rush Ben because I, I, I very much had a feeling because I was in your camp, which was there's no way this low rise acceleration in pricing is going to last. Like it was very obvious that that market was going to fall apart somehow. And, and I was in the camp that I thought the government was going to do something about it, was getting an incredible amount of media press. And so we really just try to push to launch. We launched right before the Fair Housing Act came into play. Uh, and, and 
we actually did very well. Like for 20 towns, I think on the first day we sold something like seven. By the second day, we had sold 11. The problem is there's a small common element condo component to that project. So we ended up having a lot of rescissions because literally in that 10-day period, the government started making their announcements. So, we started <laughs> so, you know, that project, as I mentioned earlier, is, is about to occupy. Uh, and we, we have a, you know, we have a little over 50% of inventory there. Um, which normally would be concerning, but in this case, I'm I'm actually uh, I'm I'm not upset about it because I, I think this project is going to do very well from an end user perspective. We're op- we're very much offering luxury, like you know, ten foot ceilings, integrated appliances, melee appliances, um, integrated kitchens, upgraded hardwood flooring, and that's not something you see on plan. Um, but uh, but so you know that project, uh, I think. Um, in a nutshell, was really the two two key variables there. One, we're probably not going to be doing a lot more low rise anymore, um, and there's nothing wrong with it. Some guys are great at that business, but for us, as as my business has grown, scale has become that much more important. And 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 I I tend to like you know the four one six proper as my development area, uh, and so that it becomes hard to do scalable low rise there. Uh, and, and we built a higher level of, of expertise and comfort in the rezoning process in Toronto. So we've then since moved a lot of our focus, uh, almost all our focus to here. Interesting. Yeah. See? So my, um, I had a, a bunch of questions about this project and whether you'd look at low rise again or small projects again, but you really answered all of them there. So it's almost like you anticipated <laughs> what we were going to say, but you did, you did, uh, Allude to Peter and Richmond, which obviously is a high-profile site, another uh, centerized site, as as I would call it, anyways. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that assembly and where you're at with that today? Yeah, so Peter and Richmond's probably the the one I could write a book on, like a full book, not a chapter, but a full book on that project. Would there be a chapter about um, that poker game we had in there? Or would you yeah. leave that? Would you leave that chapter out? Hosted in one of my buildings, sure. Um, uh, no, look, that that site was um, that you know that's where I earned my stripes for sure. It was a site where we I assembled six properties, uh, very challenging. I had the city numerous times tell me that, given the amount of heritage on the site, that this was not a high rise site, uh, which is a very as you can, as you can imagine, a very difficult thing to hear in a meeting when you're buying land on the premise of a high-rise. By difficult, do you mean terrifying? Yeah, yeah, but I think what you realize in this business is that you can't get terrified by anything that uh, somebody at the municipality will tell you because if you're tenacious enough and, and you're creative enough, you could work around most things. Um, I, like I shouldn't that. speak I like way. that I'm sure a couple of people have lost their shirts thinking that way. But anyway, so. Um, you know, that was, that's a development, like you said, great location, uh, southwest corner of Peter and Richmond Street West. Um, I, it took me the better part of almost shy of four years to complete the full assembly. Um, but in between there, I had enough pieces to actually file an actual rezoning application. Uh, and um, we, you know, we initially went with that uh very aggressive. We didn't show a ton of heritage retention. Uh, and then we, you know, we smartened up and we realized that if this was going to get developed, we were going to have to work with the city, not against the city. Uh, and so we, you know, we went through several rounds of mediation. 
uh, and we came to a resolution on what is a 40-story uh, uh, development at the southwest corner. Uh, and that, that formally actually just passed LPAT um, last week. Uh, no, sorry, not last week, last month. Um, but it had been kind of in, in the fire uh, in terms of it being done. Uh, uh, that's a you know kind of a, a bad phrase to use, but what I mean by that is that I, I was going to say like uh, like in they, a developer, how does he decide when there's heritage? Do I burn this down or not? I mean, oh. no, and, and, and so I'd rather not joke about that because I did have one of my heritage properties burned down <laughs> on that site, uh, and it was uh, I mean as a as a side story, like I went to sleep, I woke up to seventeen messages and emails with pictures and et cetera of, you know, five fire trucks at my site. And, and I was like, what? This is like, I thought I was dreaming. Um, but, you know, luckily no one got hurt, which was most important. And actually we were able to retain the front facade. So we took that all down and it's all been stored. So when we go to rebuild that building, we'll actually be uh, utilizing a large portion of that existing uh, facade, but so just just as I've always wondered this because a lot of developers do it, and um, some have done a phenomenal job. But you take so you take the facade down. Do they actually number the bricks, or how do you? What's the process to to rebuild uh, that facade? Every piece you take down is numbered and categorized. It's stored in a warehouse. Wow. Uh, and then and then when when you I mean it, it's then before it's brought back to be assembled, it's actually restored. So, you know, they'll polish it up, they'll do whatever. Right. Uh, and, uh, and then it's literally reassembled on site, reconstructed on site. And, and so in our case, that's what, that's what will happen uh, at 122, 124, which was one, 122, 124 Peter Street, sorry, which was one of our, the, the most prominent heritage building in particular there on that site. Um, so yeah. I'm sure, that's not, I'm sure that's not cheap, but I mean, obviously it, um, Keeps the city happy, keeps the uh, heritage society happy, and you don't have that heritage building in your basement or whatever. All the bricks and <laughs> no. you know, you know what's interesting about heritage is that it, it actually adds more value. So what is what is typically looked at as a nuisance in development can actually can actually be fairly positive, both from a project perspective, but also from an economic perspective. And what I was saying was. If you, I bet you if you asked Michael Emery of Ally, who was retaining heritage buildings in his redevelopments before he had to, um, you know, I've spoken to him and he's already told me he's, he's received higher rents uh, and better deals as a result of the fact that his buildings are more unique. So in our case, we think that these properties, the heritage properties on our site will lend themselves very well to some restaurant, food and beverage operations. And we think we'll see, we'll see those benefits in the numbers as well. So I, I'm... I think as much as we fought it early on, I think there's real opportunity, if you know how to utilize it, um, that it could be fairly valuable. Yeah, I mean, I, I go to the, I, I've been to the restaurant at the bottom of the Selby and it's a fantastic, you know, what a job there, right? And uh, I think that adds a lot of value to that, to that building. And then I even think of how prominently Brad, um, you know, uh, put forward the, the heritage at his Wellington uh, Road site. So I know, I know Steve is, is, is working on that one. And there was, you know, again, even he, he had a fire at that development site and, and people were saying, oh, he's two. trying to. Two, actually no, three. There's been a lot of fires. There. It's, it's a problem. And I talked to him, you know, I, I, 
again, I always like to make my Twitter jabs on here on this podcast, but you know, you go on Twitter and everyone's just attacking him for having a fire on his site and oh, you know, big developer all of a sudden's mysterious fire at his heritage building. And it's, it's really unfair, obviously, because first of all, like you said, like first and foremost, people's safety is number one. You absolutely unequivocally do not want to have any uh, injuries on site. Uh, and number two, it's, it creates costs. It creates a headache. It creates lots of problems. And they've been working hard to solve these problems, but it's, it, it shows a bit of, you know, whatever, we live in a big city. Obviously there's, um, you know, we, we deal with homelessness. If you walk downtown on a day-to-day basis, you can't avoid it. It gets cold outside. Homeless people are looking for somewhere to live. And that, that, that's how those fires were started. Um, yeah, but I'm, it's scary. Like it's not, it's nothing to joke about. Naram, you had some squatters, right, as well? David, you're dead on. Like, there's the same situation with us for the most part. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I spent the entire day there after that, that, that fire happened with the fire department. Uh, and, I, you know, the, the first thing they always ask you is, do you have insurance? And, and we, you can't insure a building like that. There's no insurer out there that's going to take that liability on. Uh, and, and then second was, you know, oh, I heard this building's heritage. And then I, you know, I then showed them the documentation that actually showed we had just resolved the matter with Heritage and Her- the Heritage Department had actually agreed for us to take down the building and reconstruct it because it was in such a poor state. Uh, and, and at a certain point, it literally, it literally became the fire department was defending me on site because people would come up to them and I'd be, you know, sitting there as if I was like a, a fly on the wall, pretending like I'm a nobody, nobody knows I'm actually the owner of the site. And, and they're just saying, oh, you know, it's the developers. That, and he's like, it's not the developer. Like, I, I know the developer is a good guy. He, he's actually going to rebuild this building. Like, it was kind of funny to see that. But, you know, I, I think that that could be a podcast on its own in terms of, <laughs> you know, media and, and the Twitterverse, uh, their, their anger towards the, the development industry, for sure. I'm, I'm shocked at the, 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 the sheer anger at the development as if it's, as if it, as if it's your fault that, that, that things are expensive in the city. And I say, like, just if a developer built this building with zero profit, you realize it would still be really expensive. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's yeah. just, We've yeah. been doing that math these days, and I, I think we're at 750 to 800 a foot. This is on condo product in Toronto. Uh, if you had a land cost of zero, is what and it would be. a profit take. of zero? Profit of zero. So and on land a land of zero, you're 7,800 bucks a foot. Yeah, that makes sense. 750 to 800 a foot. You're 400, bucks, you're 400 bucks a foot for hard construction costs right now, at least. Yep. 360, 370, depending on where you are and how tight the site is, how deep you have to go down, what the water issues are, you could be 410, 420. So for you to say six, 700 bucks a foot, that's another, I mean, another 150 of that is government fees, maybe 200 of that goes to the government. Doesn't leave much. Well, you just, you just did the math right there, right? You did the math, you, you know, 400 a foot, 200 for the government, taxes, you know, HST, et cetera, because you got to net that off. You, you, you blink and you're at like 750, no problem, right? And, and think of your other selves, right? Like, you know, you're not going to be able to sell a condo without working with the brokerage community. So those are all real. Selling costs, marketing, sales center, the softs, you know, they add up quick too. Yeah, it's very expensive. It's, it's, very, it's a very expensive proposition to be a high-rise builder in the city of Toronto right now. And you, yeah. you could you can talk to any high-rise builder, they'll echo that statement. Right? Of course, yeah, I agree. But, you know, 
when you use the word Twitter, Twitterverse, which I always laugh at, it, it's hard to ex- explain the economics and, and how, not only how expensive it is and the dollar amounts involved, but the risk. Everyone, you know, has this impression that you buy a, you buy a parking lot downtown and you all of a sudden you build a condo and you're a billionaire. Like, it's just so misconstrued in terms of the process, the risk, like I said, the dollars involved, the politics, uh, so on and so forth. It's, it's, uh, Anyways, there's nothing simple about it, and no, uh, and those no. who uh, and ninety nine point nine nine percent of the world doesn't have the stomach for it. So, obviously, uh, on, yeah, the, uh, on the economic side of things, I saw in the latest iteration of your uh, your Peter Richmond site that you had a hotel. Is is the is the economics of hotel development in downtown Toronto still still viable? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> it's a it's an interesting question because. Um, uh, COVID obviously changed a lot of that thought process. So that, that you know, that might not be, uh, if you asked me that question about six months ago, eight months ago, I would probably have a different answer than I do today. Um, I've learned a lot about the hotel business as a result of this exercise. Um, we're very close to uh, doing a deal with a pretty reputable hotel brand. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think we'd be very challenged to make that economically feasible now. I think the hotel business is going to take at least three years to get back to 2019 levels. Uh, And so when you run your math, um, it becomes very challenging to project out uh, to build a hotel today based on the fact that you're now in four years of pause with regards to revenue growth. Uh, And that's, I mean, hotels are, much different beast and a lot more complicated than my regular everyday business, which is residential development or mixed use development. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's a very much a TBD as to whether or not we would actually do that on that site. And, and the lucky thing we have there on our Peter Richmond site is that we have the ability to do both, which is to go either all residential or to do a hotel condo as well. What's the timeline there to obviously, you want to move that forward. You want to go to sale. Have you, have you launched for sale or no, no, no. when you under, actually I got a question. When you underwrote that, what were you underwriting per foot versus, uh, yeah, what, what was I underwriting per foot? Do you remember? Yeah, it was 600 bucks a foot. Cause I said, save me a unit. And now, and now it's like 1300, 1350 a foot. I can't Ram, afford Ram, that. Save me a unit at 600 bucks a foot too. If you don't mind. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, it's definitely not 600 bucks a foot. Uh, and my DCs and my hard costs weren't what they are today either. So, you know, in many ways, that's driven it uh, as a function as well. But yeah, that's, that's what we were underwriting was 600 bucks a foot. And we were buying land at, you know, 80 bucks a foot buildable or what we thought would be 80 bucks a foot buildable. Uh, and, you know, land now is 250 to 300 in that, in that note, I'd say. And so it's, it's, uh, the market's moved a lot in, in, a, in a four to five year you know, time period for sure. It's incredible. And I, I think things are moving. I can't tell if things are moving fast or we're just getting old quick. It's both, Steve. It's both. <laughs> it's both. Yeah, so, I, so what is the plan? So when are you going to go, when are you launching and, and when's the final? Uh, yeah, so look, uh, we're, we're, be done. Now, that, now that we actually have our zoning, we're regrouping, we're, we're strategizing as to, you know, how we want to take this project forward. Um, uh, and w- my guess is that we'll, at the earliest, will be a, a spring 2021 launch, uh, and, and at the latest, uh, a fall 2021 launch. 
you know, and I use those seasons fairly loosely. The, the market is very dynamic. So if we feel the market's really doing really well, we'll move to launch it a lot faster. If it's, uh, if the market's slow, then, then we'll be a little bit more patient. You, you know, in that, in that business, the high rise development business, you have to be very particular about when you launch your sites or you end up enduring a, a much lengthier sales process than you'd otherwise like to. And so, you know, I, patience is, is incredible and, and, and speed is, is paramount when, when that time is right. Well, so I'll, I always, I'll, pencil, I'll pencil it you in for uh, about 220 million and I'll tuck that away under uh, the old mattress until let's call it beginning of 2022 and you'll be ready for it. Steve, I'm really hoping we're not 220 million. <laughs> we're going to keep it under 200, but yeah, for sure. Pencil right. me in. Well, I got to keep a buffer, a little contingency. Sure. Sure. I don't, I those, you know, at those numbers, you're not being that, 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 uh, that conservative. It's only 10%. Yeah, there, there we well, go. I, had a, I had a quick question on the, on, you know, on the sales side of things. And I think we've had this discussion just, you know, between you and I, what model of sales do you like better? Do you like the center court model sell out in a month or do you like the Brad Lamb model? Get to 60% sold, raise the prices and sell, you know, 30% of the units over the, the remaining three to four years into, to occupancy. What, what plan do you think is more in line with your risk tolerance? Um, I don't think I have a defined plan, meaning, uh, you know, use center court as an example, center court always likes to be hundred percent sold if they can. Uh, whereas Brad, like you said, is likely, you know, 60% sold if he can. Um, I, I think with, with me, I, it heavily depends on what price I'm launching at, to be honest. Uh, and it depends on what neighborhood, right? So at Peter Richmond, um, you know, we'd probably want to take 100% sold if, if we could get it. Um, whereas on my Junction project, uh, which we haven't talked about that much, but, um, you know, that's an area where I think there's incredible upside in terms of value growth. And, and that's one where if we sold 70% or 75% or 80%, I'd be very content building it out on that basis. So, you know, I, I don't have a very specific... Uh, uh, need to go either way on any one of my sites. And I, I think for us, it's all about being opportunistic. So if I, if I think there's real upside in the neighborhood, then I, then I want to probably hold for the longer term. And I, if I think the market is very mature, which it is in the downtown area, you know, I'm happy to sell the majority of the units. I'll never complain about being left with, you know, 10% or something like that. That's not going to bother me. But I, you know, I want to get to a comfortable level to de-risk the project. Yeah. Why don't we transition a little bit, uh, onto the Danforth uh, project and uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on that deal and, and what's going on by the, uh, by the GO station at Danforth and Gerard. Uh, Danforth and Main, right? right Sorry, then? Main Street yeah, between right, Danforth right between, and Gerard. Right between Gerard and uh, Danforth off of Main Street, like literally in my, uh, my backyard. I will, I'll have to go and be a, uh, a Yimby and a fight for the development. Uh, once the, uh, you know, the white hairs come out and start complaining about how tall they are and, and what have you. But interestingly enough, the, the, the response that I've seen on some of the, the neighborhood Facebook groups or my wife has seen, I don't go on the neighborhood Facebook groups, <laughs> so, yeah. but they're, you know, they're positive about there being a new, uh, you know, a new go train uh, station, that there being a new community center that can, that can serve the community. So, you know, I think, I mean, when you bought the site, obviously, I, I do my land insights report and uh, with, with Vittori Management and, and Ratio.City. And we were like, 
this what's what project do they have here with the setbacks from the rail like we don't understand what we understand what you're doing right so so yeah tell us a little bit about i mean obviously that project you've got slate asset management you have uh a kensington equities that i understand you're part of that 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 uh company as well tell us a bit about how that whole partnership came together and how you know this is a lot of moving parts you got going on yeah so so there's no question that six dawes road which is we, we generally refer to our main and Danforth project is, is likely the most complicated acquisition, although Peter and Richmond would, would be neck and neck, just given the complexity of the assembly there. Um, so you know, Six Dawes Road was a site that I had known was coming to market for the better part of a year. Uh, the brokers that sold that site were the same ones that I bought my Six uh, Lloyd Avenue site, which is a site at Keelan and St. Clair South. You throw a shout out to the brokers or what? What's that? You're gonna shout a th- uh, are you going to give a shout out to the yeah, brokers or what? My, my buddy Steve Kaiser and Ian Gratman, those guys are awesome. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to shout them out too much, Steve, because I just want them to bring me the sites. I don't want them to bring True. anybody else the sites. But, <laughs> but we, I, have I, them li- we have them lined up to come on, to come on an episode. And I think they would be great guests for your podcast. Um, uh, so, you know, I had bought that site at, at Keel and St. Clair off of them. That was very similar, two and change acres, backing onto the rail land. Um, and so, you know, off of, off of the experience we were gaining there, we became very comfortable with rail, uh, rail setbacks and development adjacent to rail lines. Uh, and I mean, look, Six Dollars Road is, you know, not to use the term loosely, but it's a very much a generational development opportunity. It's not every day you could potentially rebuild a, a transit station into your development. Um, and, and the size and scale, that's, you know, 1.3 million square feet north of a thousand units. Uh, it's a, it's a massive project. I do have great partners on it. So, so Slate Asset Management, um, very large asset management, uh, organization with a lot of very smart people that, that I, I love to work with. Um, shout out to Brandon Donnelly. Yeah. Shout out to Brandon Donnelly and, and the team. Um, great guys, uh, Honestly, you're never always sure how these partnerships are going to go when you do them, uh, especially if it's a new partnership. And this was a new partnership. And I, I, think, I think we see eye to eye on, you know, 99 out of 100 things. And so they're, they're, they've been great and, and we've been making progress. It's a complicated project and it's going to take time. You know, uh, as Ben mentioned, we had proposed even including a community center there. The city is right now contemplating whether they think that's the ideal location for a community center. So it may be there, it may not be there, but you know, we both Six Lloyd and Six Dawes, so Junction and Main and Danforth, were my eventual transition into attempting to pursue sites where I could provide significant public benefit. And you know, in both those instances, you know, we show some form of park component. At, at Six Lloyd Avenue, I have a full dedicated park, public park on my site. On uh, Main and Danforth, we have a very large POPs that, that is actually a throughway to the transit station. Um, you know, there's, there's affordable housing on my Six Floyd uh, project at, uh, at Kill and St. Clair, uh, but there was a community center that we're proposing on Six Dawes Road. So our, our goal as we progress, and it's not always going to be this way, is to try and find more of these you know, suburban 416 sites that have extreme close proximity to transit that allow us to define neighborhoods. And, and I think in both these instances, we both found sites where that's going to be exactly the case. And I'm incredibly excited about both those projects. That's 
It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, to see the transformation <laughs> of my neighborhood, you know, we've got, you got Tribute has already, you know, started demolition on their building across the street from you. You've got, you know, Marlin Spring completed their, their canvas project. They've, they're, they're on Dawes as well. And, and Minto just in Osmington, you know, purchased, uh, purchased a site on Dawes as well. So, you know, just the, to think of, you know, the, the, the quality of Dawes Road, uh, even five years ago in the, in the, the perception of, of, of doing any development there would have been, you know, almost zero. And now to be, you know, complete transformation of, of that area. So I'm, you know, I'm excited about it. And, and, and you know, I'm glad to hear that you're, you know, thinking about the community benefits of a, of a project. Um, and, uh, and uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad to see that it's, that's moving forward. So, Steve, do you have yeah. Yeah, um, Well, you mentioned some great partners there, and we've talked a lot about your projects. But uh, at the beginning, when you were doing a bit of in, an intro, you, you told us about your time uh, as a, I think you started as a TA at Schulich and have since moved to lecture at Schulich. And you mentioned, um, you know, one of your mentors turned business partners, Patrick Iaboni. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Patrick and, and your relationship with Berkeley and, uh, and also maybe follow that up with just some commentary on your experience being a lecture, lecturer at Julek. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I was very lucky to meet Patrick very early on in, in, in not even my professional career, in, in my academic career. I met him in my third year of university and I was listening to this guy who looked fairly young and was telling me how he bought a site think if I remember the site is somewhere in the, you know, in the Davenport, so uh, sorry, DuPont and Ave area, where I think he bought like, I don't know, two homes, rezoned them to seven townhomes and then flipped it for half a million bucks in like 18 months. And I, you know, that, that's when, you know, the light bulbs started turning on. I'm like, wait a second, hold on, you made this seem way too easy. And it obviously piqued my curiosity. It's a lot more complicated than, than the example I just gave. But I, I then went on to, you know, build a relationship with him. Uh, and I think what he saw was a very eager uh, individual that, that had promise. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, it was a little bit of uh, luck. Like I had always um, consulted with Patrick on it, on all the major uh, events of my career. So the first job, I, I actually had three job offers that I was debating coming out of undergrad. Uh, one with a very large real estate operating company, one with a, a very large private developer, and then the lender. And, you know, I asked Patrick, where should I go? And he says, you know, if you want to become a developer and you want to understand how the capital works, because you don't have any, go work at the lending shop. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was the right, it was the right advice without question. Um, and, you know, we, we kept in touch all along. It's actually his younger brother and I that we went to high school together. Uh, and so the, the relationship there is, you know, on, on multiple levels. And he, you know, he and I built those two houses together first, uh, the first two houses I mentioned earlier on. And anyway, so, you know, when, when I was transitioning to wanting to do this full time, um, Patrick was very much focused on um, the, the U.S. and particularly Southern Florida where they were buying distressed assets in 2009 and 2010 down there. And that was his, his focus with his business partner, who's, who's also involved in some of my stuff, um, a former Toronto guy that, that lives there full time. And so, you know, it was just, it was like, like 
a lot of things in his business. Timing is everything. And I told him I wanted to do this and he had, he had been kind of uh, mentoring me through it. And then when that time came, he says, you know, I'll, I'll support you. Like if you're willing to put your head down and do this, I'll, I'll support you in this. And it wasn't a ton of capital, but you know, I've, since then we've fostered, in my opinion, the best business relationship I could have ever asked for. And, you know, I, I have someone who I first looked to as more of a, a brother and a friend than a, a business partner. Uh, and, you know, we, we consult, you know, we, we talk to each other about everything. It's not just business. And that's why it works so well. It's so comfortable. Um, we rarely do we not see eye to eye on things. There are times where, where we don't agree, but, but I'd say again, 99 times out of a hundred we're, we're, we're very aligned in, in the overall objectives of the project and, and where we want to go and what, what we want to see happen. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's been a fantastic Patrick was, Patrick is the principal of Berkeley Group. Berkeley Group started off as predominantly a uh, development business uh, and since then has just branched out to do, I'd say it's much more of like a private equity business. You know, they're, they're investors in everything from, you know, car dealerships to the Krispy Kreme franchise in Northern Illinois to <laughs> so many different things. And, uh, and he's just, a, he's probably the smartest man I've ever met. And, and it's great to have somebody like that to just be a sounding board and, and, you know, shoot stuff at him and see how he reacts and what he thinks. And, and it's been, uh, and I would say if, if anyone's looking to start a development company, if you can find your Patrick Iaboni, like go for it. It makes the, the process a lot easier for sure. That's yeah. Awesome. So, so you're lecturing at Shulik. I mean, you've got, I've heard you've had some great guest lecturers. <laughs> Not, not to mention anybody. Yeah, but. so 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 Ben Ben's becoming a regular uh, as a guest lecturer in my class. So I, I teach a fourth year undergrad course, real estate development. I pretty much try and take the students through twelve weeks of what my life is like every day that spans multiple years. So it's a very challenging thing to do, but I uh, you know I try to break it down from the nuts and bolts as to why development is even a business in Toronto. Uh, and the immigration element of it and, and the demand side uh, and the supply side. And then we get it, then we get down to the nitty gritty to, you know, what Steve does on an everyday, how, do, how are these projects financed? Who builds them? What's the rezoning process like? I try to bring as much practicality into that class. Uh, I'm not as much as I study theory for a lot of what I, you know, do. I, I, I don't focus on theory in my class. I focus on real world practice and, and, you know, I, I, try to, I try to put them into the shoes of a, a young novice developer and their, their actual, their, their major project uh, at the end of the semester is to actually find a site and tell me how they develop it, run the numbers, tell us the financing, uh, tell us what it, you know, what it's going to be. So basically you, have a, basically you have a class full of analysts that work for free. Yeah. And every once in a while they actually come up with a pretty good site. <laughs> <laughs> They're brilliant. You know, honestly, the the couple times I've 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 come and lectured and 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 the questions that they've come up with are fantastic. I, I'm used to dealing with the dummies on Twitter and all the <laughs> they say, and then have these people just shooting out like fantastic stuff. I'm like, wow. I'm like, these guys are much more advanced than I would have would have thought in terms of how they they view the the real estate market and the drivers and 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 where the market's going. Right. So, I mean, occasionally you get the the question i think i even laughed about it on one of our podcasts 
when is it going to end? Like when we're talking about price increases. <laughs> like, yeah. No, listen, there's, there's, there's very bright <laughs> a lot of people ask that question, Ben. Yeah. 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 There's some very bright students. I've actually hired uh, a former student of mine. Um, and it's a great talent pool to draw on you know, if, you're, if you're actually looking in. And often even guys like Steve will reach out and say, hey, do you have any really bright students that um, would make for some, uh, you know, would make for a really good entry-level analyst? And I'm happy to make those recommendations. And, you know, the, 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 the thing I love about that class, I don't love commuting to York University, but what I love about it is um, it keeps you sharp on the basics of the business, right? It's very easy for us to get ingrained into what we do and forget at the high level why we do it and, and think about those things. And that's actually why I love reading all your stuff, Ben, because it makes me think that way as well. But it's, you know, often as developers, um, it's very easy to get into the minutia of, oh, you know, this meeting and this conversation and this, but like, you know, immigration is not going to be great this year. It's on my mind. Like, what does that mean for our business? How long is it going to take for that to work its way out in, now I think it's gonna be short term, but you know, that, that's something that we definitely, I definitely think about on a regular basis where maybe a lot of people aren't thinking about it. And that's why I like the course. The course just keeps you sharp because these students know nothing. So you can't have a conversation where you start throwing out terms. You literally have to treat them like as if they, they've, they've never heard the word real estate before in their life. And so it's, it's a very uh, humbling thing to go through for sure. That's awesome. So We've taken up quite a bit of your time. We do appreciate, uh, you know, you said that you didn't even think you'd have uh, 40 minutes of interesting material to discuss. And we're well over an hour, I think, at this point. But I did have, you know, just we started off the, the conversation with, uh, with, you know, the references to what we've been going through over the last six months, COVID, the pandemic. Obviously, it's changing your industry. It's going to change your business. And I think it's fair to say it's going to change development in some respects forever. Uh, my question for you is, as we go into the end of the 2020 and into 2021, what do you think are, um, you know, the permanent changes or how is this uh, last six months going to affect your business permanently into the future? Look, it's a great question. Um, there, there is no doubt that COVID has changed the world in a big way. Um, and you know, our, my, my focus at, at the ground level has really been, you know, how do we change that experience for people living in a condo? Like I, I've lived in a condo for the last seven years of my life, uh, a little longer now even. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to fully understand that experience and, and the positives and negatives of it. Um, I, I think, look, I, I, you know, I am a believer that, that, or I'm in the camp that this will pass and, and people, you know, I, I remember hearing Benjamin Tall, like very early COVID days say, you know, when 9-11 happened, everyone said that they wouldn't live in tall buildings and they wouldn't fly on planes again. Well, okay, tourism went up and density went up in vocals <laughs> post 9-11. And that's not to downplay the significance of that event. I just mean that people, people do have uh, the natural ability to progress beyond uh, challenges. I think the things that are permanent uh, are going to be understanding the way people live within their homes and the work from home element. I don't think work from home is going to be as significant as everybody's making it out to be, but I do think it is going to be a reality for a lot of businesses. Uh, and I think on the, on the more granular level, it's everything from how do you minimize the amount of touch points in a building, right? Like 
So, you know, why do I have to touch my, my elevator button? Why can't that be done through a key fob? Why do I have to touch the door when I'm entering the building? It, are, are the heating and ventilation systems up to standard, right? Because in a business like ours, um, it's easy to become complacent because it, it's a business that does well. So if you built a formula, you want to keep to that formula because you want to minimize the amount of changes that you, you ever have to make for building the building because you, you, you can pinpoint and reduce risk. But if you're going to be a progressive developer in this business, you have to think through that. I think, I think it just reinforces that we can't be complacent as, a, as an industry and we have to think about how, how this is going to change lives and how do people live in that, in that experience. And, and that's a lot of what takes up my brain energy, right, is, is where, do we, where do we think we can be better, right? And where, where is that opportunity to be better? And where is that technology? And why isn't that technology here? And, and changing the way we live every day. And so I think a lot of people are of the same camp. And I think a lot of people are saying, don't worry, this is just a, a one to two year thing. And then we can just be back to the way we were. So we'll see. That's a great answer. Great answer. Well, well, we like to close it off on our uh, rapid fire questions. So these are kind of, you know, one sentence um, uh, answers. So Steve, you want to start us off? Uh, all right. Are you ready for this? <laughs> oh, all right, go for it. I, I was actually about to end on some profound message saying how uh, sincere and genuine of a guy you are and how much we appreciate your time. But you know what? We got to do this. This is, I, the I and, this is the Ben and Steve special. Thank you. Thank you. Good. So um, I'm actually going to start with, with a bit of uh, one just jumping on off of what we just discussed. So aside from another lockdown, uh, what is your biggest fear? of 2021 and you can't stock say murder hornets <laughs> let's say stock market crash stock market crash interesting okay uh I'll, I'll i'm altering steve's question but this is a, this is a tough one that i asked on twitter do you contribute your success more to good luck or to hard work hard work good answer that was the right answer. We wrote down correct. You got it at that point. <laughs> I like to be correct. Good. Okay. So we're in Toronto. I know you're a big Raptors fan, big sports guy. Raptors took a devastating loss last night in game five. Absolutely humiliating. They have a bounce back opportunity in game six because we're recording the night before game six. Can they salvage this series or are the Celtics just too strong and going to take it? I think they take game, game six, but they don't take the series. Oh, all right. So the city's been uh, building a lot of bike lanes. Do you think that helps or hurts you from a, from, a develop, from a developer perspective? It helps. It's good. You're building an urban city. It's the right thing to do. Okay, let me ask you part B of that question. In the next four years, are we going to have – next five years, are we going to have more bike lanes or more subway lines built in the GTA? <laughs> At the speed at which they got a couple bike lanes installed, I'm going with the bike lanes. Uh, I wish it would be subways. I was the question used to be uh, approved, but I mean, it sounds like the bike lanes are just getting approved and built, regardless, regardless of the process. The, anyway, the Danforth, the land, Danforth looks amazing. So they built the bike lanes all the way down to Danforth. I'm I'm excited about it, even though I don't even ride a bike. I just think it, it makes the city look look better. There's lots of people using it, and. You know, I'm tired of looking on Twitter every day and seeing some person killed or maimed because of an accident with a with a car, right? So, 
get them separated. I know where I'm going. You know where you're supposed to be. And, and, uh, and there's not an intermingling of the two, uh, two modes of transportation. For sure. Okay, next question. What developer in the GTA would make the best prime minister? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, that's a tough question. What developer in the GTA would make for the best prime minister? Oh, I don't know. I don't think any developer would ever make a good prime minister. That's the truth. <laughs> Those two things don't work very well together. I don't know. I, I would say, I would say Shemez would be would be a good prime minister. He seems to uh, seems to be a great orator. Uh, who else? You know, Shemez is a fantastic guy. He's a buddy of mine, and and uh, and he is fantastic. You know what? I, I'd actually say Adrian Roca would oh. be a fantastic prime minister. He talks too fast and he's too smart, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's too smart for his own <laughs> uh, uh, that's a great answer he, he 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 would be a fantastic prime minister he, he would, yeah yeah i i know i i know adrian a bit i don't know him incredibly well but from when i've heard him speak and the few conversations i have had with him i, I think he's he is very smart but i also think he, he navigate the political world very well also Actually, All right. I've reached out to him as to be a guest, and he's agreed to come on as well. So we're Good. looking forward Good. to having him on. Well. Yeah. So they, yeah, they're 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 starting. Uh, I was talking about the rents on one of his projects coming up on Twitter. It was getting a interesting uh, discussion about it, but uh, maybe I won't mention that. Maybe he doesn't want me to talk about it. <laughs> I say last question: If you were not a developer, what do you think you'd be doing today? Don't say lender. Guys, you know what? That's that's a very difficult question for me to answer. And normally, most people have like other answers, but I've I've only only charted myself to be in real estate. Like I like where some people fall into this business. I've like since I've been twenty, it's like this is where I'm going and this is what I'm doing. Within the industry, I don't know. I mean, like the the private equity side is interesting. Um, you know, uh, lending to developers from an equity perspective, not from a debt perspective. I think actually is, is a very interesting business and, and a scalable business. Um, but I, I don't have some interesting answer. Like I'd love to say I'd be a professional soccer player, but that's not true. So like, I just, you know, that's the, the reality is, is I'd, I'd be in this gig in some way, shape or form. Well, that's awesome. Well, we appreciate you, uh, you being on the show where we, we knew it would be a fantastic conversation. We always got interesting things to say whenever we meet up in person, hopefully we'd be able to, to do that again, I guess. So, uh, are you still doing stuff in Miami? Are you are you missing that going down there? I really miss going down to Miami. Um, my uh, so Patrick and my my other business partner. They, I mean, they're very active there. But uh, it became it became I don't want to say a second home, but very close. And it's a great place to almost have a second home. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm I'm missing the weather. I'm, miss, I'm missing the the vibrancy of that city right now. And I, I think, you know, like everybody else, I'm just missing travel quite yeah. a bit right now. So hopefully, hopefully we're, we're all in a, in a calmer world sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, last yeah, word no, I, 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 I joked about it, but genuinely, Naram, you're a great guy. You're a, you're a great person to have in this industry. Obviously, you care a lot about 
uh, not only the projects you work on, but the communities you're involved with and trying to make those better places for your future residents. So uh, hopefully people listen to this and understand that, uh, you know, the, the, the bad rap that for whatever re- reason developers uh, may have, may have uh, it, it's not true. And there are true, honest, great, genuine guys out there doing it. So thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show and, and just being who you are. And um you know, oh, yeah, I guess where, where can they find you? If someone wants to look up Carlisle. Yeah, where can they find you? yeah I mean, our, our website is obviously spot number one to hit up. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, there, you can hit a, you can send us an email through that site or just even info at Carlisle. And if you're trying to get my attention, that, that gets forwarded to me pretty quickly. We don't, we don't just auto delete <laughs> the stuff that comes into our info box. So they can, they can do that. Um, and if you find me in, in, in the, the social media world, you're more than welcome to, to email me. I'm not going to start giving my coordinates right now or sorry, uh, message me. But, but I'm there. I'm there. I'm, I'm typically just monitoring Steve and, and Ben on Twitter. Not me. <laughs> you're monitoring me who monitors Ben. Uh, you monitor Ben. Because <laughs> yeah. you need to keep this podcast going. That's why. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, and uh, uh, thanks a lot, Steve. And we'll... Uh, yeah. Thank you guys. Toronto under construction. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Welcome to Toronto under construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. 